0: I don't know about you guys, friends, but I go through the week. And uh, I often feel like my cell phone battery just kind of slowly running down all week long, and then I come into worship on Sunday morning, and it's like plugging into God's power outlet, and uh, I'm just refreshed and restored, and it is so great to uh, to be with you guys and to sing God's praises together and to study God's word together. I see some heads shaking back. I mean, there's nothing better than Sunday morning. So I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, we have here in our midst this morning the the frozen chosen, uh, those brave Minnesotans who came out after our uh, overnight snowstorm. So thank you for joining us. And and for those of you at home, we still love you, uh, even though you're not with us. I know uh, it was tough to get out there plowing the driveways this morning, but uh, we love you. We're glad you're joining us online today. Uh, If we haven't met, my name's Jason Carlson. I'm the senior pastor here at Lakes Free. And uh, just uh, a real privilege to be able to Uh, be a part of leading this church family in worship on Sunday morning. So thank you for being a part of today with us. Uh, I've got some exciting news to share. Uh, First of all, just just a reminder, during this COVID season, we've been doing things a little bit different than normal. So, So one of the things that we haven't been doing is collecting our regular Sunday morning offering. Uh, as you know, historically, our ushers would come and, and collect the, past the offering bags. We, we haven't been doing that for a long time. We've been encouraging people to worship through giving by using our collection boxes that are in the back foyer. Uh, many of you have begun giving online. And uh, we're so thankful for your faithfulness in those gifts. And uh, just some really encouraging news that we heard this week. This, uh, we just recently finished the first quarter of our fiscal year. And believe it or not, friends, we had the strongest first first quarter ever in the history of our church. Is that amazing? Man, I mean, th- truly, that is just miraculous when you think about what God is doing in this extremely difficult season that we've been in where you know half of our church is worshiping online, half is coming back in person. I mean, it- it's just a different time, and it's been a tough time, but God has proven himself faithful time and time again. Friends, don't ever doubt it. God is good. He is faithful. But, Here's the flip side of that. God also wants to keep us humble. All right. So uh, while we had the greatest first quarter ever, the first three weeks of the month of January have been significantly lower in our giving, and uh, we've almost lost all of the sh- all of the all of the surplus that we gained in that first quarter here in the first month of January. So again, God wants to keep us humble. He wants to. St- to keep dependent on him, walking in faith. But you know what? He's going to provide, and he's good. And uh, so I just want to encourage you to uh, continue to worship the Lord through your gifts, through your giving. It's part of what God calls us to as his people, to contribute to the mission of advancing the gospel in all areas of our lives, whether it's through finances, our time, our talents. Uh, We all can play a part in this great mission. But again, I I just want to thank you, church, because God is good, and he's doing some amazing things in a very uh, crazy, difficult season that we've been in. I want to uh, just draw your attention to one quick announcement this morning. Uh, We're two weeks away from our upcoming marriage conference with Greg Speck. You've heard a bunch, uh, heard a bunch about this in recent weeks, and you may have seen uh, info come through through our weekly newsletter or through our website, but uh, we've got a great conference coming up February 5th and sixth, Friday night, Saturday morning. Greg Speck is an awesome, awesome speaker. He's going to both bless you and help you in, in the area of your marriage, but he also just he communicates biblical truth in just a really fun and winsome way, and uh, I promise you guys, you're not going to want to miss this. So so this conference is going to be really special because you can join us in person or online. We have two options for you this year with this conference. So if you're interested in joining us, you can stop by our Next Steps desk this morning. You can register there, or you can go to our website, register there, and you can sign up either for the in-person option or the online option. But again, I really strongly encourage you to take advantage of, those, uh, of uh, one or both of those opportunities because it's going to be a great weekend. Well, let me, uh, let me open in a word of prayer, and let's ask God's blessing as we turn our hearts to uh, consider this passage this morning, John chapter 10. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for the privilege of worshiping you, for the, the joy of being your children and coming into your presence, and, and just the many ways that you bless us and overwhelm us with your goodness and mercy and love. And, and Lord, so we just give you honor and glory and praise today. I thank you, Lord, for my friends here this morning. I thank you for our church family watching online this morning. I thank you for those who are, who are watching. Maybe they're just curious. Maybe they're just interested. We, we know we've seen all kinds of viewers watching recently. And, and so we just pray for them too, Lord, that they also would be blessed as they join us in worship and, and the study of your word today. God, help me to communicate clearly. Give me wisdom, Lord, and, and open all of our hearts, open our spirits to the message that you have for us. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would open our eyes and, and humble us now as we approach your word. We pray this in the, the great name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, you know, friends, we've been living through some... Truly historic times here the last few months, whether it's the, the COVID stuff we've been going through, whether it's all the, the cultural and civil and political uh, unrest and turmoil that we've been, been living through. Uh, this last Wednesday, we celebrated a, a historic milestone in the, the history of our nation. Uh, we had the inauguration of our 46th president, uh, President Joe Biden. And, and again, we're, we're living through these historic times. And as I've talked with many people here in, in recent weeks and months, and, and even this last week with this presidential transition, one of the things that I find very interesting is there are people in our world today, even in the church, who, who look at this history, this era that we're in, and, and this new president that we just inaugurated. And, and there are many who look at this as something to, to really celebrate and be excited about and be hopeful over. And yet there's a a lot of other people who are very discouraged in, in, in what's taking place in the new leadership and the transition and, and and they're discouraged and wondering, you know, what's gonna happen to our country. And and it's interesting as I was reflecting on that reality this week the, the reality of this presidential transition and how how some are really discouraged and frustrated and others are hopeful and optimistic. And and I remembered four years ago the day after President Trump was inaugurated. I remember my wife and I were at the grocery store and we ran into a friend of ours and she was there with her, her adult daughter, a young adult, young woman. And, and they were sharing and, and her daughter was expressing to us how, how just dismayed she was that President Trump was now in office and she was so discouraged and she just thought, you know, like the world was coming to an end now. And I remember I shared with that young lady four years ago. I said, you know what? And as of today, I've lived through eight presidents. I've lived through eight presidents. And like I shared with this young lady four years ago, I said, you know what, some of them have been good. Some of them have been not so good. Some of them have done great things for our nation and others have done not so great things. And, And you know what, as Christians, our great hope is to remember that God is sovereign. God is in control. And don't get overly tied up in, in putting your hopes in, in human political authorities, human governors, human presidents. These, these are important, and they've, been, and they've been ordained by God to lead us, but we also need to remember that God is sovereign. He is our, our ultimate source of hope and security. And so we need to hold on to that reality, and we need to remember to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people of prayer, praying even for our political leaders. We, we had a great time of prayer on Monday night here at church this past week with our, our Freedom Prayer Gathering. We had over 50 people join us uh, of all ages, literally. We had little kids and we had seniors, and, and it was just a great time of prayer, praying for our nation, praying for the presidential transition, praying for our leaders, praying about this COVID season, and, and, and God will honor those prayers, friends, so keep praying. This is what God's word admonishes us as his people to do. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4, for example, the Apostle Paul tells us, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, friends, no matter where you stand today, no no matter where you are on the political spectrum, let's remember that our calling as God's people is to be a people of prayer. And and let's pray together. Let's pray for for President Biden. Let's pray for this new administration. And let's ask that God would lead them and and guide them and, and give them his divine wisdom as they lead our nation. But, you know, as we think about these political transitions... And as we pray about them and we pray for our leaders, <clears throat> one of the things that was impressed upon my heart this week as I was thinking about these realities is, is what these realities really point to. What they really point to is how we as humans, we all desire good leaders, don't we? Right? And that's one of the reasons why we get so emotionally invested in, in who our leaders are. It's because we desire good leaders, in all areas of our lives, we want good and faithful and, and people of integrity to be leading us, whether we're talking about presidents or governors or, or even on the, on the local level, we think about you know, our pastors or we think about our, our school district and our teachers. We think about those who, who coach our sports teams, right? When, when we think about those who, who, who lead us, we want good leaders. We want faithful leaders, humble leaders, gracious leaders. But friends, I want to remind us this morning, when it comes to to leadership and who we trust and who we follow, that the reality is there's only one perfect leader. There is only one perfect leader, and that is our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. This is the one that we're going to be talking about here today and, and next week as we look in two parts at John chapter 10. Jesus, the good shepherd. the the, the one true leader who will never disappoint, who will never let you down. And friends, we need to hold on to the hope that we have in him, our good shepherd. Today we find ourselves in John chapter 10. You, you may recall we just come off chapter 9, this, this incredible miracle of Jesus healing the blind man. And again, remember the, the Jewish religious authorities, the Pharisees, they got all bent out of shape because, again, Jesus has healed a man and he did it on the Sabbath and he's working, he's breaking the Sabbath, how dare you? And then on top of that, Jesus is, you know, announcing him to, him, himself to be equal with God. I mean, they, they just they're just, you know, all bent out of shape. And Jesus now, in chapter 10, is going to bring a word of of condemnation, if you will, against the Jewish religious authorities. He's going to contrast himself as the good shepherd, the faithful shepherd, the the leader who truly loves and guides and cares for his people with, with these false shepherds that were leading the Jewish people at the time of Christ. And Jesus is going to highlight here for us very clearly the reality of who he is. So I want to read our passage this morning, and then in our passage today, I want to highlight four essential truths that we find here in this passage. Four essential truths, and and these truths are going to be truths that we're going to build upon here, not just this week, but next week as well as we look at this entire chapter, chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. Let me read this for us this morning. You can follow along on the screens or in your own Bibles. Jesus goes on in chapter 10, verse 1 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his, his own sheep by name and leads them out. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, he's insane, why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Another really interesting, interesting passage of teaching by our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, as I mentioned, I want to highlight today four essential truths that we find here in in this powerful passage. Jesus reveals four truths for us here this morning, and, and the first truth, the first essential truth that we need to recognize here in this passage, number one, we are sheep. We are sheep. Now now you may have showed up this morning and you had never even considered that, but, but the reality is, all of us this morning, all of you watching at home this morning, we are sheep. Throughout our passage, as we just read, we, we see repeatedly over and over again, Jesus refers to men and women as sheep. And in fact, when you read through the Bible, friends, did you know that throughout the Bible, one of the most common metaphors that are used to to describe men and women is the metaphor of sheep. In fact, over 500 times in the Bible, the Bible talks about sheep, and almost all of those references are in regards to us. To to humanity, God's creation, men and women, the Bible describes us repeatedly as sheep. Now you might be thinking to yourself this morning, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that so cute? God views us as little cuddly little sheep. Oh, that's so nice. Isn't that precious? I'm a cute, cuddly little sheep. But friends, that's not exactly the image that the Bible's trying to convey when it talks about us as sheep very interesting. When I was a junior in high school, the summer of my junior year, my dad, who was a Christian apologist, he traveled all over the world speaking and teaching on Christianity, defending the faith. And when I was a junior in high school, my father and I had the opportunity to go to New Zealand and Australia for a month. And uh, there in New Zealand and Australia, my dad was speaking all over those two countries over the course of the month, holding evangelistic seminars, teaching on Christian apologetics. And when we were in New Zealand, one of the, the fun experiences that we had is one of the cities that we were visiting, we were put up and we stayed with a family from this church that were sheep ranchers there in New Zealand. Now, you might be familiar with this reality, but New Zealand is famous for their sheep. New Zealand, friends, do you realize New Zealand has 60 million sheep and only 3 million people? I mean, there's sheep everywhere. I mean, everywhere you drive, you see sheep ranches and farms and sheep in the pastures. There's, there's sheep everywhere. They eat sheep. They eat lamb like we eat beef here in America. Sheep everywhere. Well, we had this interesting experience where we stayed on a sheep ranch for a week. And as we observed the sheep ranchers and we talked with the sheep ranchers, we began to learn a few things about sheep. We, we began to learn, for example, that sheep are very low-intelligence animals. They're really not the smartest creatures. They're they're creatures of habit. They'll 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 walk the same trail day after day. They'll go to the same pasture day after day. They'll completely eat all the grass in a pasture, but they'll keep going back even though there's no food there because they're just creatures of habit. They're also prone to listless wandering. They'll they'll just wander off in all directions totally oblivious. In fact, the ranchers told us that sheep have even been been known to literally walk into an open fire. Just completely oblivious. I mean, these are not smart creatures. We we heard, for example, that sheep are also very timid. They they can be startled by the the smallest noise or the, the smallest surprise. And at the same time, they're notoriously stubborn. They're often very stubborn and hard to move and hard to get going. And on top of that, they're really a defenseless animal. You know, you look at these cute, white, cuddly sheep, right? I mean, they have no natural defenses at all. They're completely accessible to prey and helpless, My dad had a philosophy professor who's now retired at at Bethel uh, Bethel College, Professor Bob Smith. He used to say, sheep are prima facie evidence against the theory of evolution. He said, there's no way sheep could have survived. I mean, they're they're just pathetic animals. Sheep can also experience this reality of of being cast. Have you ever heard of a a cast-down sheep? The, the ranchers in New Zealand, they told us that sheep will often be, become cast, and what that means is the sheep, when they lay down on the ground on their side, if they roll over too much because of their center of gravity, when the sheep rolls over, it can literally get stuck on its back upside down and can't flip itself back over, and, and, and they become completely vulnerable to the elements or to predators. That, that's called a cast sheep or a cast down sheep. They're stuck on their backs. I mean, friends, these are helpless, pathetic animals. And when we understand this reality, you can start to understand why the Bible so often uses the metaphor of sheep to describe us as men and women. All right? This is not a flattering metaphor. But when we think about it, friends, when we think about it, I think we have to admit it is pretty accurate, isn't it? We are a lot like sheep. In fact, when you read what the Bible says about us as as God's sheep, let let me just sample a few passages for us here. Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 53, 6, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Jeremiah 50, verse 6, My people are lost sheep. Zechariah 10, 2, The people wander like sheep, oppressed for lack of a shepherd. Matthew 9, 36, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And on and on the scriptures go with similar verses like these, describing us as, as sheep, and friends, I would contend this morning that the greatest need of all humanity, the, the greatest need that the whole world has, it's not political, it's not economic, it's, it's not racial. The, the most important need of all humanity is to recognize that we are sheep. We are sheep and we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. The Bible says that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. What is our problem as humanity? We, we've wandered from our shepherd. We've strayed from the shepherd and, and the good pastures that he wants to lead us in. We've strayed and we've we found ourselves in, in places where we shouldn't be, wandering and helpless and alone. Many of us find ourselves cast down on our backs, just pawing helplessly at the air, looking for hope, looking for meaning, looking for purpose. We truly are sheep, friends. The whole world is sheep, and we need a shepherd. There's no greater need for all of humanity than to recognize that truth. And this leads me to point number two this morning, truth number two that's conveyed in our passage while we are sheep, we also need to beware of false shepherds. We need to beware of false shepherds. You see, friends, the reality is our world today is full of shepherds, full of shepherds, but they're not all looking out for the sheep. Not all the shepherds in our world today have our best interests at heart. There are shepherds out there with with false motives. Ulterior motives, evil motives. We, we see this in the context of our passage this morning in, in, in John 10, following closely on the heels of John chapter 9. right? The whole context of Jesus sharing this story about we as humans being sheep and he being the good shepherd, the whole context, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, follows on the heels of this story where Jesus had miraculously healed the blind man And then what do those who are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders, what do they do? Instead of celebrating the miracle, what did they do to the blind man? They cast him out. They cast him out of the synagogue, out of the society, out of the community. They made him an outcast. These were the, the men who were supposed to lead and guide and shepherd God's people, and yet they had cast him out. What did they do to the man's parents? Remember, they called the parents to testify. And the parents were so afraid themselves of being cast out that they weren't willing to to bear testimony to Jesus. Why were they so afraid? Because they had bad shepherds, false shepherds. And and so Jesus here is is sharing this passage about himself being the true shepherd, the good shepherd, because his people 2,000 years ago didn't have good shepherds. They had false shepherds, evil shepherds. And and Jesus, in our passage, he uses three words, three words to describe the false shepherds of his day 2,000 years ago. He he calls them first, he calls them thieves. He says these false shepherds are thieves. The, The word there in the Greek is kleptes, kleptes, and, and that word might sound familiar to you because it's where we get our English word kleptomaniac from, right? Somebody who is uh, obsessed or, or addicted to stealing, right? Kleptes, a thief. And, and Jesus in, in the Greek is using this word. It refers to somebody who steals by stealth and cunning, right? And, and it's a person who distorts and perverts God's truth. It's like Jesus describes in Matthew 7.15 where he talks about there will be false prophets who come and they will come looking like they're dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves looking for someone to devour. They'll come to you looking like they're sheep, looking like they're one of God's people. They'll look like a sheep and they'll talk like a sheep, but, but through deceit and cunning they are actually leading you astray. The, the second term Jesus uses for these false shepherds is he calls them robbers. There are thieves and there are robbers. The Greek there is lestes, and, and it, it's a, it refers to a bandit. This is a thief who steals by force and violence. This is the, the holdup guy who puts a gun in your face and says, give me your wallet or I'm going to shoot you. This is the violent thief, the bandit. And, and Jesus uses this term to, to refer to leaders who, who are overly harsh and authoritarian with their people. Legalistic leaders like the, the Jewish Pharisees, the, the legalistic, judgmental leaders who had no room for God's grace in their religious outlook. And then thirdly, Jesus speaks about the hired hand in our passage. He calls these false shepherds thieves and robbers. And then he says there are these hired hands, the hired hands, the mistotos in the Greek. This is the hired worker. This is the person who only does a job for what he can get out of it. His work is, is not out of service, out of love, out of compassion, out of a calling, out of a genuine love for his sheep. No, this is a person who does his duty, who serves only for what he can get out of it, only for the reward that's in it for him. And as Jesus says, when the real wolves come, when the real wolves come, the hired hand runs. When the times of testing and trial and persecution Come, you see, the hired hand is not a true shepherd because the hired hand is only in it for themselves. And in verse 10 of our passage, Jesus says to beware of these false shepherds. Why? Because they come to steal and kill and destroy. They're not in it to guard the sheep, to love the sheep, to protect the sheep, to guide the sheep. They're there to steal and kill and destroy And, friends, sadly, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. Our world today is still full of false shepherds. They're with us today in abundance. As, as Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, Paul warning this young pastor, Timothy, he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming, he says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul the apostle warns his young protege Timothy to be on guard. To be alert to to stay rooted in the word why timothy because a time is coming a time is coming when men will not hold fast to sound doctrine they'll they'll want to have their ears tickled and so they'll accumulate for them a whole host of of teachers false shepherds thieves and robbers and hired hands who will tell them what they want to hear. They'll, they'll tickle their ears with, with things that make them feel good and feel comfortable and, and affirming, and, and yet it's not rooted in God's truth. And our world today, friends, sadly is full of these false shepherds. We could be here literally for days on end sharing examples of the many false shepherds in our world. I I saw this week uh, just uh, the first example that comes to mind just from most recent history here this past Wednesday. This past Wednesday at the president's inauguration. If you watch the inauguration ceremony, the inauguration ceremony was closed in prayer by, by a man named Reverend Dr. Sylvester Beeman. He's a pastor at the African Methodist Episcopal Church and and, and Reverend Beeman, he opens his prayer at the end of the inauguration, praying to God, but it quickly becomes apparent that the God he's praying to is just some some vague universalistic deity, uh, an unnamed generic God, and then he closes his prayer. He closes his prayer, he says, and I quote, in the strong name of our collective faith. Amen. Amen. In the strong name of our collective faith, amen. Friends, you want to know who Jesus was talking about? The false shepherds, the the ones that we need to be on watch for? Here's a prime example. Friends, praying in the name of our strong collective faith will never save anybody. Praying in the name of faith. You can pray in the name of faith all you want. The, The question isn't about having faith. The question is, what do you have faith in? Oh, faith, please heal my wife of cancer. Oh, faith, oh, collective faith, please restore the unity in our nation. Baloney. Your collective faith won't save you, friends. Only Jesus can save you. Only the great name of Jesus can save you. The the parade of ear ticklers went on later in the day at our national prayer service. One of the great traditions in our nation upon the, the president's inauguration is they bring spiritual leaders together to, to pray for our president and to pray for our nation. And, and they join together in the National Cathedral there in Washington, D.C. And, and this year's National Prayer Service was led by two transgender faith leaders, a, a number of LGBTQ clergy, a Muslim, Hindu, Sikh, and Navajo spiritual leader. These are the people praying for our nation. Friends, do you think God is not going to judge our nation for this perversion of truth? This is what Jesus was talking about. A time is coming when men will not adhere to sound doctrine, they're going to gather for them a great number of teachers. They're going to tickle their ears. They're going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. Oh, it doesn't matter who you pray to. It doesn't matter who you believe in. All paths are basically the same. You know, let's just get together in unity and pray to our common faith, and we're all going to get along. Isn't that so beautiful? Friends, that's the road that leads to destruction. This is why Jesus' brother in the book of Jude, in Jude verses 3 and 4, Jude, he opens his book. He literally opens his letter to the church saying, Beloved, I was very eager. Here's what I wanted to write. I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. However, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Why? Because these false shepherds have come. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude says, look it, we need to contend for the faith. We need to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And, and what is this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints that Jude is talking about here? Friends, it's the message of Jesus in our passage this morning. It's the truth of Jesus in John 10. That's the faith that we're called to contend for in, in the face of the false shepherds that are so prevalent in our world today. And this leads me to point number three this morning, truth number three this morning. What is the faith? What is it that we're supposed to contend for? It's the truth that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Let me read for us verses 7 through 11 again in our passage this morning. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. What a great statement by Jesus. But it's interesting, one of the things that I find many people question when they read that passage is as they ask the question, they say, well, well those are beautiful words, but, but how is Jesus both the shepherd and the gate, right? Did you notice he kind of mixes his metaphors there? He, he says, I am the shepherd, but then he also calls himself the gate. I am the gate. So, so what does he mean by that? Well, it's very interesting. There was a, a, a great Old Testament scholar in the early 20th century. His, his name was Sir George Adam Smith. He, he, he wrote some of the greatest books on biblical geography in, in the early 20th century. In fact, many of them are still used today. One of the world's leading experts on the nation of Israel in the Middle East. He used to tell the story of talking with an Israeli shepherd when he was in Israel studying the history of Israel and the geography of Israel, he, he began to study the, the whole idea of shepherding in the Bible and the metaphor of shepherds and sheep in the Bible. And so he began to hang out with these Israeli shepherds. And, and as he was going around the countryside, the, the shepherds would take him and show him their sheepfolds. And, and the sheepfolds that Jesus talks about in our passage today, they, they were usually constructed in one of two ways. They were usually a, a four-sided enclosure, made out of, of of stones and mortar and, and thatches, thickets, or, or they were circular, but, but they all had one thing in common. They had an opening, a single opening, where the shepherd would lead the sheep into the sheepfold. And then they were protected by the walls around it. Well, well Sir George Adam Smith, one day, when he was touring the countryside and, and talking to the shepherds, he began to notice that all the sheepfolds were constructed the same way, But they didn't have any doors on them. There were no gates on these sheepfolds. And and so he asked one of these shepherds, he says, Well, where's the gate? And the shepherd said to him, I'm the gate. I'm the gate. And the shepherd went on to explain that when he leads his sheep into the sheepfold at the end of the day, when the sun goes down, the sheep are safe in the enclosure and then the shepherd will actually lay his body down across the opening. He will physically become the gate into the sheepfold. And so if anything wants to pass into the sheepfold to harm the sheep, it first has to get through the shepherd. And friends, this is what Jesus means when he calls himself the good shepherd and the gate. Jesus Christ, as our good shepherd, is the living door. And we see in our passage this morning how he is both our protector and our provider. He's our protector in that when you enter through the door of Jesus Christ into the family of God, you are saved and you are safe. And nothing can harm you because our good shepherd stands there as the gate. He's the door. He, he's watching over his sheep. But, but then he, he's also, as, as the living door, he's also our provider. As Jesus says in John 10 here, when, when my sheep go in and out, as our provider, the good shepherd leads us out the door. And he leads us into abundant pasture. In John 10.10, he says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so we're both saved and secure with our shepherd, and and then we have a shepherd who leads us into abundant pasture. The, The word abundant there in our English translation, abundance or abundant, it comes from a Latin word, abundare, abundare. And in Latin, that means to rise in waves or to overflow. It's like picturing yourself on a sandy beach, right? If you've ever been to the ocean, the seashore, and you're standing there on the sandy beach and, and the waves just keep rolling in one after another, over and over again, endlessly washing up onto the shore. That's the picture of abundance that Jesus is using here. It's this never ending, overflowing, constantly coming rise of the waves. Jesus comes to give us life and life abundantly. Friends, there's probably no better picture of the abundant life that's found in our good shepherd than the description given to us by King David in Psalm 23. Many of you probably have this great psalm memorized, the 23rd Psalm. King David, who himself was a shepherd, looks to God as our good shepherd and, and he shares these great words. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a great passage about our good shepherd. Friends, do you notice there's six great promises here in this psalm? Six great promises. We're we're promised rest. We're promised guidance. We're promised comfort. We're promised safety. We're promised provision. We're promised a destiny. What a shepherd. This is the abundance of our life in Jesus Christ. Do you know that abundant life? Do you know the life of being led by the good shepherd? Life and life abundantly, that's what Jesus offers. And this leads me to truth number four this morning. Truth number four this morning, Jesus tells us that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. Here here in this final truth, we find the ultimate demonstration of the goodness of our shepherd. Of all that the shepherd promises, friends, of all that the shepherd has given us, the greatest promise of all is that the shepherd has laid down his life for us, his sheep. In fact, five times in our passage, five times between verses 11 and 18, Jesus t- tells us, I lay down my life. 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 Friends, are you getting the picture here? Do you think Jesus wanted us to understand this truth, right? He lays down his life. Why? Why? Because he's the good shepherd. And that's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd gives everything, even his very life, for his sheep. In John 15, 13, Jesus would tell his followers, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus would go on to model that reality when he went to the cross of Calvary. In the greatest act of love this world has ever known, Jesus laid down his life so that we could know true life. The Apostle Paul describes the the sacrifice of Jesus and his great act of love on the cross. He, He describes it in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. The Apostle Paul says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, and that mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. It's interesting here. Paul calls Jesus our good shepherd. He he calls Jesus our mediator and our ransom. What what, what does that mean, friends? Why why do we need a mediator? And and what what exactly is Jesus ransoming us from? Right? Right? I shared how my junior year of high school, I spent that time on the sheep ranch in New Zealand. It was really interesting. One of the things we learned while we were there on that sheep ranch in New Zealand. The ranchers told us that oftentimes when the, the, the flocks are giving birth to their new lambs, the ranchers described how oftentimes when the, when the mother ewes are giving birth to the lambs, that, that oftentimes a mother ewe will die while giving birth, and, and she'll leave an orphaned lamb. And, and somewhere else in the flock, there'll be another mother ewe, and, and she'll give birth to a stillborn, a dead lamb. And, and the sheep ranchers described how what they'll often do is they'll take that orphaned lamb who lost its mother, and, and they'll try to bring that orphaned lamb to the mother ewe who lost her baby. So so that that orphan lamb can nurse and suckle from this mother, you, who who lost her baby. But here's the problem. That mother, you, can smell that sheep. She can smell that lamb and she knows that's not my baby and and so she'll kick it away. She'll kick it away and she'll never allow it to come to her to, to nurse and suckle. But the sheep ranchers have discovered something really incredible. The sheep ranchers have discovered that if they take the dead stillborn lamb. And if they cut open the dead stillborn lamb and they take the blood of that lamb, and if they smear the blood over the coat of the orphaned lamb, they cover the orphaned lamb with the blood of the dead lamb, and they cover the orphaned lamb, and then they bring that orphaned lamb back to the mother who lost her baby. And now that mother smells the blood that covers that lamb. And she smells that blood and she says, That's my baby. And she will then always allow it to come to nurse and to suckle. And she'll care for that lamb covered in the shed blood of the stillborn, the dead lamb. And you know, I thought about that and I thought, what a great illustration for our relationship with God. See, the Bible tells us that all of us are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that because of our sin and our rebellion, none of us can ever enter into the presence of our good and holy, righteous God. But but the good news of the gospel is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. As Hebrews 10.10 describes him, the perfect, spotless lamb of God, who laid down his life and he shed his blood. Jesus shed his blood to to provide the the mediation, the ransom, the remedy for our sin. And when we put our trust in the shed blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, the the perfect provision for our sin, God in his holiness, he does not any longer look upon our sin. He he doesn't see the, the darkness of our rebellion, but now he sees the blood of Jesus that covers us. The the blood of Jesus that covers our sin. And because of our hope and trust in the blood of Jesus, God allows us to come back into his holy presence. Friends, that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has made a way. He, He gave his life so that we could know life. Why did he do this? He did this because he's the good shepherd who loves his sheep. I want to draw your attention to one last verse in our passage this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to verse 16 of chapter 10. In verse 16, Jesus says, And I have other sheep, other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus says, I have other sheep. Who are these other sheep, friends? These other sheep are are you and me. These other sheep might, might be some of you watching online this morning at home. Friends, the good shepherd is still gathering his flock today. The, the good shepherd is still calling out to his sheep, calling and inviting them to come and to follow. And I want to ask you this morning, have you heard his voice? Do you hear him calling out your name this morning? The good shepherd inviting you to come. Come and experience life and life abundantly. Will you follow, friends? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son into this world, the Good Shepherd, so that we might have life and reconciliation with you, forgiveness of our sins, and then to have a leader, a shepherd, a guide to, to lead us into life and life abundantly. That's amazing grace. And we thank you, Lord, for, for who you are and all that you've done for us, and, and all that you are for us is our good shepherd. Lord, may we follow your lead faithfully, May may we know the comfort and guidance and security and the joy that comes from from following in the footsteps of our loving shepherd. And may we stay close to you all the days of our lives. And Jesus, if there's anybody here this morning or anybody watching online this morning who, who might right now be hearing you as the good shepherd calling to them, bidding them come, follow me, I want to lead you into pastures of of life and life abundantly. Friends, if you hear the shepherd's voice calling you this morning, I encourage you to trust in Jesus. Commit your life to following Jesus. Take his gift, his sacrificial offering, and and make it yours by, by asking him to forgive you of your sins. And say, Jesus, I want your shed blood to cover my sin so that I can come back into the presence of my heavenly Father. And know life and life abundantly. And friends, when you call out to Jesus that way, he will do that for you. He will wash you. He will cleanse you. He will make you white as snow because he's a good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your gift, for your amazing grace. And may we now all follow you faithfully In your great name we pray. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. As we leave today to follow in the footsteps of our Good Shepherd, I want to leave you with these words from Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stay where you are until our ushers dismiss you. God bless you and have a great week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week and we will look forward to seeing you soon.